Welcome to No Baller. I am Chris Rawl. It is Thursday, June 24th. On today's show, all the different kinds of playoff pressure. Before we get there, uh, I want to talk about why gambling should be legal in Utah. Because my friends, the prodigal son has returned. Been over two weeks since I watched a hockey game. Uh, the Colorado Avalanche, my favorite team, lost to the Vegas Golden Knights. It's a very painful experience, and I couldn't bring myself to watch a sport that I love. So I've taken time off, and I've tried to dip my toe in the water, and it hasn't worked out. Because again, this is a very painful experience for somebody who, for the first time in 20 years, thought Colorado could win a Stanley Cup. Um, last night, I, I broke through the barrier, uh, and I'm back. It was Game 6 of the New York Islanders against the Tampa Bay Lightning. I've talked about how I love betting the Islanders in this year's playoffs. I can get them at plus money uh, in almost every game of every series, and I keep hitting them uh, against the Penguins in round one, against the Bruins in round two, and against the Lightning this round. So I go back to the well, uh, and it's just this reunion of sorts. Me with the sport that I love, uh, betting on the team that has become my favorite gambling team. I take them at plus 130, and I regret my decision about a period and a half into the game. Because the Islanders go down 2-0. And I'm going, no, no. This is, this is bringing back a lot of, a lot of old wounds. Uh, and I wasn't enjoying it. And then the next thing I know, you know, it's close to the end of the second period. Jordan Eberle gets it from Barzell. He scores on a backhand. It's 2-1 going in the third period. And I have a little bit of life. And I'm starting to get back within the rhythm of watching playoff hockey. Where it's just this end, 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 end action over and over. And it's high and it's low and it's high and it's low. And it's the entire microcosm of the emotional experience that comes with watching sports over a long period of time, boiled down into 60 minutes. So the third period is everything that you want as a hockey fan. Uh, And Matthew Barzell is just flying around the ice for New York, making plays, darting through people. And he has this phenomenal shift about midway through the third. He feeds Scott Mayfield coming into the zone, who has just this perfect shot right over the shoulder of Andre Vasilevsky, about a window as big as a puck. Bangs it in on the opposite corner. It's 2-2. Nassau Coliseum is going out of its mind. I'm going out of my mind here, and I'm feeling that rush again from hockey. Uh, and it was much needed. It was much needed. And we go into overtime. <laughs> and I have a moment uh, going into overtime. I already have my bet on the Islanders at plus 130. And now I'm just riding this wave of, oh, man, I love this thing. This is so much fun. And I know that playoff overtime hockey is the greatest thing on planet Earth. So what do I do? Because I'm just a sucker for all of the emotion that comes into sports. I double down on my bet. I go into the live betting and I go, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to place another bet on the Islanders and take them. Because you only live once. And this is just something that I feel compelled to do because I've been away from hockey for a long time. And I'm loving this and I hope it works out in my favor. Uh, I talk about all this emotion and everything all the time when it comes to watching sports and it doesn't get finer on the positive and the negative side than playoff overtime hockey. It's the greatest sports viewing experience in my opinion. Uh, End-to-end stuff where you think you are going to lose a game in one instant and five seconds later you think you're going to win the game and it just goes back and forth and back and forth. Every tiny little play Seems like it's the end of the world. A team skates the puck across the neutral or through the neutral zone, and you're going, oh, no, this is a rush. It's going to be over. Why did I even do this? And then your team's skating through the neutral zone. You're going, this is it. It's an odd man break. They're going to score. We're going to win. It is ecstasy. 
Uh, and about a minute into the game, Blake Coleman on Tampa, he has the puck on his stick in his own zone. He makes an ill-advised pass, trying to thread the needle uh, to get it out of the zone. And Anthony Beauvillier for the Islanders, he intercepts it. He's now got a quick chance. It kind of materializes out of the blue like these things do sometimes within the playoffs and within overtime. So Tampa Bay has the puck. The next second, Beauvillier has it. And he's rifling a wrist shot that beats Vasilevsky. He's running off before I almost even can understand what's happening. Uh, Again, Nassau Coliseum is now going crazy. They're chucking beer cans on the ice, throwing water bottles. I'm feeling like doing the same here watching it in the office. Uh, And it was just everything that I needed for my return to hockey. Uh, And just a great reminder of what is so cool about this sport and especially what is so scintillating about overtime within the playoffs. So now we have Game 7 coming up, uh, and I'll be ready to watch. And we have a fantastic reason why gambling should be legal in Utah, because it will help rekindle love for an old flame. And now, a word from our sponsor, Traeger Grills. With your masquerading and you Traeger invented the original wood-fired grill over 30 years ago in Mount Angel, Oregon. They continue to lead the industry as the world's number one selling wood-fired grill, perfected by decades of mastering the craft of wood-fired cooking. You can find out more at TraegerGrills.com. The playoffs are all about pressure. Step inside the pressure cooker see who is hardened and survives, and see who explodes. That's kind of the dynamic that goes into trying to win a championship. Uh, And everyone in the playoffs is dealing with pressure, individuals and teams, but it is different depending upon the situation. Uh, It's been a rough year for me when it comes to the teams that I follow and the pressure and expectations that they've had upon their shoulders and how they've performed come playoff time. It starts in January of this year. Green Bay Packers, my NFL team, They make the NFC title game. And I have a lot of hopes and dreams that this could be the year. Uh, They had a really good team. Aaron Rodgers is at the peak of his powers, although he's old. But it's just a season that comes along and you say, hmm, this this is one of the short list of contenders that could win the Super Bowl. Now, Green Bay going into that game is dealing with the pressure of a championship window that is on the very tail end uh, and closing rapidly. You don't know how many more shots you're going to get as a team, and for Aaron Rodgers specifically, the same kind of thing. Tail end of his career, still performing as good as he's performed, but he's in his late 30s, and you just don't know how many more opportunities you get. Uh, And you felt that pressure going into the game. You felt that pressure throughout the game. And you felt the weight of that loss sink in after the game because we knew that. When Aaron Rodgers is walking off the field, and you can just tell, uh, he realizes this as much as any fan who is watching, that this could be my last opportunity to win a Super Bowl. Uh, And now in retrospect, you're looking at it saying maybe both of these sides, Aaron Rodgers and the team, they're understanding this might be the last time we join forces together because now they're embroiled in uh, a dispute about uh, contract or just dynamics of a team and whether or not Aaron Rodgers even wants to play for them, period. Uh, And it could have just been the last opportunity that Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers had to win a Super Bowl together. Uh, And they succumbed to that pressure and lost and Now you deal with the fallout. Within the world of hockey, we're seeing uh, similar stuff. Pressure cooker situations 
that are slightly different depending on the team. Tonight, we have an enormous game six in one of the conference finals. Uh, Montreal against the Vegas Golden Knights. Montreal's up 3-2 with a chance to close it out tonight. Montreal's dealing with a very different type of pressure. It's the pressure of kind of a one-and-done type season. They haven't really done anything the last few years. This seems more like a flash in a pan and just the stars aligning than anything rather than it being a sustainable uh, Stanley Cup tender moving forward. So they have the pressure of, this is kind of our only shot right now. It came out of the blue. We're here. We seize the opportunity. We could be a Stanley Cup champion. We win tonight. We're in the Cup Finals. That's a lot of pressure, but in a different kind of way to what Green Bay was going through or what the opposition is going through tonight, the Vegas Golden Knights who have been one of the very best teams in hockey for the last four years since they came into the league. And they haven't won a Stanley Cup. And if they are to lose tonight or in Game 7 or in the Cup Finals, they'll be dealing with uh, a, a very familiar type of pressure and question-answer process of, man, we've been really close for four years. We've had a, a lot of things break our way, and we've had some that haven't. We've made the cup finals. We've had incredible playoff losses. The most notable coming to mind, that game seven against the Sharks when they're up by three goals and then a major penalty happens and the next thing you know, they're blowing that in the third period of the game. A lot of crazy stuff that's happened. They lose in the conference finals last year against the Stars. Uh, If they were to lose against Montreal, it would be as heavy, heavy favorites after they'd beaten uh, the team that a lot of people thought would win the cup year this year in Colorado. That's a different type of pressure, but one that you feel uh, in great, great, great quantity. On the opposite side, the game that happened last night that's now headed headed to a Game 7. You have the Lightning. The pressure of trying to win back-to-back Stanley Cups, that's a very different kind, and I think one that allows you to play more free because you've already been there, you've won, you have the experience, and you don't feel the same type of pressure as the team that's never, ever won it. Uh, The Islanders, you know, they're somewhere in that middle ground. They have an open championship window. They're not the most talented of team, but they've been floating around. Uh, And now going into a game seven, it doesn't matter what you feel going in. When you step onto the ice for a game seven, you're going to feel pressure in great quantities. Uh, And like last night, if you make it to overtime, it doesn't matter your situation. Playoff overtime in a game six or in a game seven to go to the Stanley Cup final. doesn't matter how many times you've been there. doesn't matter if this is a one and done season or the tail end of your championship window. You will feel The ultimate pressure. So last night we have the first game of the NBA Eastern Conference Finals. Which is an interesting series on a lot of levels. And when it comes to the theme of today's show, pressure. It's two teams that are dealing with vastly different kinds. The team that I'll start with is the Milwaukee Bucks. Who lost last night by three points. uh, At home as eight and a half point favorites to the Atlanta Hawks. For the Bucks... We know what the story is. Now's the time. The time is now. Uh, You got to win. This is your championship window. You've fallen short in the past few years. You've tried to change and tweak your team to create a better possible championship contender. And the stars are aligning this year for the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, And if you were to lose, you're staring down the barrel of change. Because if you're Milwaukee as a franchise and you can't win in a year like this where the top title contenders have all been outed. They've, some have been injured. Some have just fallen short of expectations. 
team they played last round, the Brooklyn Nets, the championship favorites. They have Kyrie Irving go down. They have James Harden go down. When he plays, he's not as effective. Uh, and Milwaukee still has to fight tooth and nail to get through that series in seven games in overtime. A lot of pressure <laughs> that we went through with that game. Uh, and it's crazy to look at this team and think how close already they've been to being outed from these playoffs. And how, if that were to have happened, how much change would have already occurred or would be occurring? And how many questions would be sitting there looming over Giannis Antetokounmpo and his free throw shooting and the way that he generates offense and crunch time and questions for the second and third best players on the team, Chris Middleton and Holiday, both who struggled mightily at times within that Brooklyn series and both who have had questions in the past of, can you really win a championship with players like this being your second best player or your third best player? Uh, and the questions of their coach, Mike Budenholzer, who almost assuredly would have been fired if Milwaukee were to have lost last series, and who also, I think, probably will be fired if they lose this series, or maybe even if they lose in the NBA Finals. Who knows? There's so many questions that go into this team and the future of this team that it ratchets up that pressure to about a 10 out of 10 on that scale. I want to read a quote from John Hollinger of The Athletic about the Milwaukee Bucks. If Kevin Durant had normal-sized feet, the Milwaukee Bucks would be looking at wholesale changes right now, with a new coaching change almost assuredly part of it. Instead, because Durant's size 18 flipper clipped the three-point line in Saturday's Epic Game 7, the Bucks have an open highway of opportunity ahead of them. That doesn't necessarily reduce the pressure. I'll put it this way. Winning a championship in any season is hard. You don't necessarily get the right mixture of talent, injury luck, in a favorable bracket every year. And even if you do, there might be another squad that gets a bit more of it, end quote. So this speaks to a lot of things that I believe and a lot of things I'm constantly talking about on the show, as all of you know who listen and watch this regularly. Uh, but I'm going to hone in on the themes that go into today's. So I'll push aside the mixture of talent, the injury luck, the favorable bracket, the stuff that even if you get, you can still, uh, other team can get it a little bit more than you, and that could be the difference between winning and losing. I want to concentrate on the pressure side and the looking at wholesale changes and how those two work in unison because that's the ultimate pressure within a playoff setting. A team that knows if we lose this year, there will be wholesale changes because we've tried repeatedly and we failed repeatedly and the only way moving forward in the opinion of our management and of our fans is we have to make wholesale changes. That is so much pressure to deal with. I think back to my favorite player of all time, LeBron James, and kind of the crux of this particular talking point, this staring down the barrel of a wholesale change. Uh, it's the 2012 playoffs, his second year with Miami. Up until that point, LeBron has not won a championship the Miami Heat themselves have not won a championship there with LeBron, obviously. It's their second year. They lost as favorites the year prior against Dallas. They go into the Eastern Conference Finals. They're up 2-0 in that series. And they lose the next three games to Boston. So they're going back down 3-2 in that series. And in the history of the NBA, this is about the, the maximum degree of we know if you lose, there will be wholesale changes. Eric Spolster, the coach, he will be gone. And the fall guy will be Chris Bosh, the third fiddle on that team. He'll be traded, and they'll get whatever they can for him to try to rearrange a roster around LeBron and Dwayne Wade. 
to try and win a championship. Uh, This is the pressure of wholesale change. For LeBron as the individual, going into that game six against Boston, it's about as much pressure as you could have on an individual. A guy who the talking points from the media and from fans, they they go from a, a whisper to a scream over the years. You can't win. You can't win. You're a loser. You're not built for the moment. You're not clutch. You don't have a championship. It's because of you. You're a failure on a lot of levels. Uh, and most, the, the most prominent being you don't have what it takes to win when it matters most. So all of these things come to a head in this game six, uh, which is one of the most notable games of LeBron's career and one of the turning points within this four-year run with Miami because LeBron goes for 45-15. and 15. Uh, They win in game six. They come back in game seven. He plays phenomenally. Bosch hits huge threes in the fourth quarter of that game when Miami is balanced in a little bit down, and now they're trying to take the lead. They win. They go on to beat the Oklahoma City Thunder in the finals. They stay together for those four years until LeBron leaves. They win two NBA titles. They make two other finals. It's a great, successful run for that organization, for the player. And it's crazy to look back on that game. There's all these great what-if moments in the history of every sport, uh, every team, every individual. This is an enormous one for LeBron and for the Heat. If you lose Game 6 or Game 7 against Boston, it's going to be wholesale change, and it completely and would drastically change what the NBA landscape looked like. It didn't happen, and now we look back on it and go, oh, man, that's weathering the storm. That's withstanding the pressure cooker of that situation and that specific playoff year. It's interesting in the context of this year and this Milwaukee Bucks team that's in the Eastern Conference Finals to think about where they were at after Game 5 against Brooklyn. I recorded a show after that game, masterpiece of a performance by Kevin Durant. And one that from the Milwaukee side, I talked about how much sympathy I had for that team and really for that fan base because nothing could have been set up more for them to win. And instead, through Durant's performance and a long list of just botched plays and random chance ref calls and luck and all that kind of stuff within the fourth quarter of that game, uh, Milwaukee ends up losing. So they're going back for game six. And it seems like they're going to lose the series in just a way that would be so utterly crushing that I don't think you could really withstand as an organization. That's where the wholesale change occurs. It would have been so damning to the vision of themselves as title contenders that they couldn't even beat the Nets team with just Kevin Durant and a bunch of flotsam floating around. You don't come back from that, especially when you factor in the last few years of Milwaukee Losing and being able to or being unable to withstand the pressure of these individual playoff years. And wholesale change would have been there. Boonholzer is gone, guaranteed. And they got to make a lot of decisions on how do we build around Giannis? Do we continue to roll out the same style? What do we do with Middleton? What do we do with Holiday? What do we do with some of these side pieces? Is Brooke Lopez, is he great for this roster? Do we like how we play defense with him as kind of the centerpiece as the drop man? Uh, some of these fringe people, Pat Connaughton, Dante DiVincenzo, who's injured. What do we think about these people? There's so many questions that would go into this. Uh, And there's so many things that go into that point between Game 5 and Game 6 of the Brooklyn series. There's the heartbreak of that loss. There's this identity crisis they're going through in real time. There's all these roster questions that they're asking even before they've lost. There's coaching questions that they're asking even before they've lost. All these things go down the list, and instead they win. Game six, and instead they go into game seven. Another great what if in 
this particular team's journey. Overtime, game seven, a million different things that go into that game that could have broken the other way and caused Brooklyn to win, including the most notable Durant size 18 shoe being a size 16, and instead the Bucks are at home. There's so much stuff that goes into this. It's crazy. So they win the series, and the pressure gets ratcheted down because now they're going against Atlanta. They're heavy favorites against Atlanta, and they can take a deep breath and go, okay, we're eight-and-a-half-point favorites game one. Uh, we get some rest. We're relatively healthy. DiVincenzo's the only person who's out. Uh, let's go. Last night, game one, Atlanta plays a great game. They win on Milwaukee's home floor. And, and what's the takeaway coming out? It's all of this stuff starting to bubble back up. The pressure first and foremost, and all these other things that I talk about between game five and six of Brooklyn. Heartbreak, identity crisis, roster questions, coaching questions, they're starting to bubble back up. So we flip to the other side, the Atlanta Hawks. Who, yeah, they're dealing with pressure, but a drastically different kind than Milwaukee because they had no expectations coming into this season. Uh, and the feeling that I get from them is essentially they're playing with house money. Going into the season, their Vegas win total is 36 and a half in a 72-game regular season. So essentially, they're expected to be a 500 team, give or take. They exceed that. You know, they're uh, battling out for the four and the five spot in the East. They're playing the Knicks in the first round. Even going into the playoffs, we don't really have any expectations for this team. They're essentially a pick in that series. They hammer them. They go into the Philly series in round two as pretty heavy underdogs. They win that in seven games. Now they're coming into Eastern Conference Finals as even heavier underdogs. They win game one. But you watch this team and you get a sense. Okay, this is a team that's had kind of a rapid ascent. And they don't really know what's going on. And that works to their advantage. Because they look like they are playing with a lot less pressure, and they look like they realize, hey, we're young, and we're playing with house money, and whatever happens this year, it's going to happen. I'm going to read another quote from John Hollinger of The Athletic, and this one goes into the Atlanta Hawks. Last season, the Hawks went 20-47, and 47, and it was equal opportunity awfulness. They were 26th in offense and 27th in defense. They played three centers in the first quarter of most games and it was hard to distinguish which one was the worst. They started two rookies who both struggled, went most of the season without a backup point guard, finished last in three-point shooting and second-to-last in defensive rebounding, had two 10-game losing streaks, and suffered through a 30-game midseason stretch where they went 4-26. and Looking back at last season's roster is like going through a time warp. I mean, Vince Carter, Evan Turner, Alan Crabb, Damian Jones started 27 games, and Jabari Parker started 23. DeAndre Bembry was six on the team in minutes. Dwayne Dedman, Trayvon Graham, Alex Len, and Tyron Wallace all saw stints in the rotation. End quote. An incredible transformation when you look at these names. And I'm sure that most NBA fans, even ones who follow it closely, you kind of forget, because I did. Until I was reading this going, oh my gosh, these were all integral pieces of this Atlanta team last year. Now you fast forward to this playoff year and last night. Game one, they win. Uh, Trey Young is, if he's not the breakout star of the playoffs, he's on the short list. Last night, he is 
spectacular. Like, truly an incredible performance. I keep waiting for him to slow down, and, and there's, uh, he doesn't. I, I don't even know how to process what I'm watching with him because it's happened so quickly. A guy who not that long ago we're looking at and going, ah, he's fine, but he doesn't play any defense, and he's just kind of, it seems like he can put up really good stats, but they're not contributing to his team winning. They're 4-26 and during a 30-game stretch last year. They have two 10-game losing streaks, uh, and he's just running around there with Vince Carter and Evan Turner and all these other names. Whatever, who cares? Now you watch him last night. First half against the Bucks, he's got 25 points, four rebounds, four assists. He's 11 for 16 from the field. And it's in just that incredible way that Trey Young brings to the table. He's hitting floaters out of the pick and roll. He's stressing that drop that Brooke Lopez wants to play. Then they're coming back on that, and he's going, all right, I'll hit you with step backs. He's banging home threes. Oh, you, you want to come up and try to just swamp me? Uh, in a way that has succeeded against other teams and players. Not going to work because I'm one of the best passers in the league. Now I'm throwing just these pinpoint passes all over the court uh, and stressing your defense in that way. It's the Trey Young experience that we've seen in the past when they're going 4-26, and and, and we kind of pushed away because, eh, does it contribute to winning? We don't really know. We can't tell. And, And now we've seen it throughout these playoffs, and we go, yeah, it sure as hell can contribute to winning long as you got the right pieces in place his second half is is just as good again there's a theme with Trey Young where I go yeah he's got to slow down at some point he had 25 points in the first half he'll probably slow down in the second half at least somewhat this is a great defensive team going against him with a defender that is about as good as you could throw at him and Drew Holiday great perimeter defender one of the very best in the league seems like if anybody could slow down what Trey Young's doing it'd be somebody like him second half comes along no no that's not the case um, he's making all the plays throughout the entire half. Now he's throwing lob after lob to John Collins, who looks like he's just playing uh, NBA jam. Uh, ha- Trey Young has a play in the third quarter when he's just rocking and rolling, and he shakes Drew Holiday in a truly embarrassing way. He's running off in the other direction, and Trey Young is now standing wide open at the three-point line. He takes a breath. He shimmies. He shoots a three. It's like he's playing uh, at, uh, at Rucker Park or something. Uh, he's hitting every big free throw down the stretch. He's doing just everything on the offensive side of the ball for the Hawks. He's the reason they win last night. He finishes with 48 points, 11 assists, 7 rebounds. Virtuoso performance. And now as we're revisiting just this Hawks ascent from last year to this, and the ascent of Trey Young as the breakout star of the playoffs. It's an interesting topic uh, because I look at it and, and it's really interesting in light of yesterday's episode, which was all about the situation around you and the role that you are asked to do and how if some of those things change, it can drastically alter our perception of a player. Uh, Trey Young is probably case study A in this NBA year about how situation can alter what we think of a player who is playing at pretty much the same level. They're just now in a different place because the players around them are better. Uh, To illustrate this, I want to go back to John Hollinger of The Athletic because he has some stuff that I think is really, really interesting and pertinent in light of Trey Young and of situation. The quiet opportunity in last year's awful roster 
was that if they could just replace the replacement level or worse players in the 2019-2020 rotation with average to good players in the 2020-2021 rotation, the Hawks could be massively better with the same core. That's basically what happened. While Young, Collins, and especially Herter have shown some growth this season, they aren't radically different players from what they were a year ago. The most improved player was Hunter, who unfortunately had his season ended because of knee issues after playing just 23 games. They're just surrounded by way more talent. The free agent pickups of Bogdan Bogdanovich and Danilo Gallinari were game changers, not because they were all-stars, but because they were replacing Bembry and a 43-year-old Carter. Trading a first-round pick for my Swiss brother, Clint Capella, and using another on, on Yeke Okongwu turned what was hands down the league's worst center unit into a top 10 duo. Capella has been one of the league's best rim protectors, important when Young is on the perimeter. While a year of developing a Kongwu with nightly microdoses of playing time has borne fruit in these playoffs. Finally, after Rajon Rondo bombed, a midseason deal for Lou Williams gave them a real backup point guard for the first time in eons. End quote. This stuff is fascinating to me. Pressure situation. We'll tie yesterday's episode into today's episode as the close. You can see the Hawks playing under a different type of pressure. They seem freer. Because a year ago, they had the same core. They had Herder. Uh, they had Trey Young. They had John Collins. But it was surrounded with garbage. And they went 20-47. and 47. And no one in the NBA really cared about what they were doing. Because that's just not a good team. Why would we care? And you fast forward a year later, and the situation for that core changes drastically. Now you replaced all of those below-average players with players who, who were performing admirably. Capella, Gallinari, Bogdanovich, who's now injured, which is a huge blow to them, uh, and they're trying to weather that storm. He's not playing like he was playing the first two rounds, but he's still on the court. We'll see how that plays out. Lou Williams... I'll go down the list of all these players that are real NBA players who can step in and perform in their roles and do it at an above average level. Situation is everything. I can't stress that enough. So now you have a team that has created a, a much better situation and the fruits of that are being realized in the playoffs. And it's creating a free willing team that is not feeling pressure because they weren't expected to be here. And they're just out there going, huh, you know, house money, whatever. Throw down another bet. Double it. Sure. Why not? We weren't supposed to be here. We were 20 and 47 a year ago. We're just here and we're enjoying it. And we're playing against a team that has a world of pressure on their shoulders. Uh, and we'll let them feel that. And we're not going to think about what we have to do. We're just going to enjoy the ride. And Trey Young, it seems like nothing on earth is affecting him right now. He's just going to go out and he's going to bomb away threes. He's going to whip underhand passes and shimmy all around the court. Uh, and we're going to have fun doing this. All of these things coming together into a series. Situation, role from yesterday's episode, and pressure from today's. So now we have the Hawks up 1-0 in this series. Playing with house money against a team that can expect wholesale changes if they lose, which is a vastly different type of pressure than what Atlanta's feeling. So now in this series, much like all of the other series within the NBA and the NHL, um, it boils down to one of the main things. 
who's going to feel this pressure more as the series wears on and who's going to succumb under the weight of it. Uh, winning the championship is hard for a wide variety of reasons, all of which I touch on constantly within No Baller. And one of the main ones, feeling the pressure that this year might be your last or only opportunity to win the ultimate prize. Thank you for listening to No Baller. This podcast can be found on any platform of your choosing. If you could rate and review and help spread the word, it would help me immensely. If you have additional feedback or thoughts that you want incorporated into the show, please email me at chris at thebeehive.com. Last but not least, if you would prefer to listen to this as a video, go to thebeehive.com and find No Baller.